your Locked On The Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, 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 friends, and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast. I am your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. I hope you all are having a fabulous Wednesday. If you have missed any previous episodes from this week or prior weeks, be sure to subscribe and follow on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and lets you catch up on all previous Lockdown Winnipeg Jets episodes and get updated when the brand new episodes drop. On tonight's episode, I thought it'd be fun to take a look around the league and see what standings stories are starting to develop. We have a bit more of an earlier sense of how some of these teams are faring, albeit with a very limited sample size, and some of these divisions are a little bit stranger than others. Before we get to our standings coverage, though, let's talk about a very surprising resignation from the Pittsburgh Penguins. General Manager Jim Rutherford has in fact resigned, and the word seems to be that he had some sort of disagreement with ownership and that ultimately led to him essentially dismissing himself. Candidates to fill this void include Tom Fitzgerald, Ron Hextall, Jason Botterill, Big Pete Shirelli, John Ferguson Jr., and Chris Drury, which, um, yeah, lots of folks who have been in and around the league, and for the most part, I don't know that any of them have a particularly great reputation other than maybe like Ron Hextall. I think the biggest thing that I kind of see with this situation is that you have a good aging core in Pittsburgh, right? But of course, this is going to need a, a rebuild sooner rather than later. So if you if you bring in a new general manager, obviously the situation is going to be very complicated in the long term. You have to kind of plan for the end of Malkin and Crosby's careers and then try and figure out what the next stage is. I mean, this team doesn't really have a particularly robust prospect base. They're still very much in win now, but of course the win now mode is starting to fade out and I think that this team is still very good, but I don't know how many seasons it has left to be this productive. Looking back at Rutherford, I think it's a very confusing career because he had a couple of decent acquisitions, but the rest have just been marred by lots of really just terrible free agent signings, not great contracts, long-term extensions that weren't ideal. In a lot of ways, Rutherford kind of strikes me as a guy who understood at least parts, but then also sort of lucked his way through the rest, kind of like Stan Bowman with the Chicago Blackhawks. You know, Bowman, of course, did win a couple of cups with that team, and I think that there are some parts of his career there which, you know, he probably did an okay job, but the rest of it, not really a fan. Rutherford's resume is kind of the same way. I think Pittsburgh ended up succeeding in spite of him. He did end up bringing in a pretty good coach, but I don't know if that was necessarily his decision or somebody else's. Looking at where this team is now and what it ultimately needs, I just don't think Rutherford really had much of a plan or a vision for how to essentially get this team from point A to point B without really hamstringing it alongside guys like Cody Ceci, Jack Johnson, and lots of players who don't really fit the bill. For as much as many of you will remember Brandon Tanev being beloved by a lot of the folks who enjoy grit and a little bit more of a defensive posture from the Winnipeg Jets fan base, I think we can all agree that signing him for multiple years at nearly $4 million a season is probably pretty crazy. You're not really getting a, a guy like Andrew Kopp who's a really effective top six player with the right line mates and somebody who can actively contribute in the offensive zone on a fairly regular basis. Tanev has one primary function, and I think that contracts like this sort of highlight why Rutherford really struggled to understand what made this team tick. 
And then you saw last year, Jack Johnson ended up kind of being responsible, at least in part, for how Pittsburgh ended up collapsing in the playoffs. It's hard to assign blame to one player specifically, but that pairing was so weak and Sullivan often put it out in very high-leverage situations, and so you kind of found yourself with a, a perfect storm of bad conditions where, you know, Rutherford brought in a very bad defender, uh, Mike Sullivan tried to make use of him as much as possible, ended up costing them a couple of really bad chances. Of this list of candidates, I guess Ron Hextall might make the most sense. I think Hextall has done a pretty decent job of building a foundation in Philadelphia, which, if you're looking at long-term prospects and stuff, might not be the worst idea in how to rebuild the, the Penguins long-term, but I also don't really know if Hextall is the guy to elevate that roster beyond what it is right now. I think one complaint with Ron was that when push came to shove, he wasn't always able to get this team, especially the Flyers, to the next level. I sort of wonder if he's going to run into the same issue with the Penguins, because now he's taking on a, a you know an existing roster that has a lot of talent as is, but has a couple of particular weaknesses. I mean, one not need look too much further than the guy in net and the blue line to understand that this team is probably in some degree of trouble when it comes to their back line. Right now, the Pens can kind of get away without scoring a lot of their competition because of just how good their forwards are, but I think beyond that, you have to start asking questions about what exactly the long-term vision and plan for this team needs to be. Seeing guys like Pete Chiarelli and Jason Botterill being mentioned, for me, just doesn't really do it at all. You know, Botterill had a chance with this team as like an assistant GM or GM of, I think, the... Uh, what was it, their uh, affiliate team in the AHL, I think it's Wilkes-Barre Scranton, you know, those Penguins were pretty decent, the ba baby pens were great, but when Botterill moved to the Buffalo Sabres, of course, we saw his entire career just sort of go down the drain. I think a lot of what happened at the NHL level was him being very overwhelmed and not really being prepared for this job, and I don't think that him coming back to manage the Penguins would go any better. Pete Chiarelli is another general manager who kind of lucked his way through a really great core when he came on with the Boston Bruins, and ever since then he's never really been able to replicate any of that success in part because he had an amazing foundation, and again he sort of lucked through the rest. When he was hired by the Edmonton Oilers, I thought maybe he had a shot at doing something a little bit more than what he did with the Bruins, but of course that ended up not really happening at all. Pete hasn't really changed much at all and ended up sort of crapping out towards the end of his tenure there. I mean, a lot of the decisions that he made with the Oilers just were frankly terrible. He kind of gave McDavid absolutely nothing to work with, and that team is in a really bad spot because of so many decisions that Shirelli made early on in his tenure. With a roster like the Penguins, I think it's going to be a very difficult hiring process because you need to bring in somebody with experience, but you also need to look at somebody who's willing to think about the organization with a very fresh and young lens. I think that this team genuinely needs a lot more than just somebody who needs to get the most out of a win-now team. You have to have somebody ready for the long-term picture, too. Apparently, some portion of, like, Mike Gillis's application to the Pens was getting around. I don't know if it's an actual real thing or not, but, of course, it did look decent, especially with his reference for talking about sports uh, analytics and how you ultimately use that to, to, you know, make more informed decisions and make longer-term plans for how you build the future core. Gillis might make sense in some respects. I don't know if, again, he would be the best fit for this job, but of the potential hires that you could look at, I think Gillis might fit this current vision under Sullivan the best. It's quite clear that Pittsburgh is in a very precarious spot and they need somebody with true leadership and vision to come in and try and help this roster as much as possible, especially with so much of the season remaining. Speaking of this season, I thought it'd be interesting to look at how a lot of these divisions are starting to shape up. We have a couple of clear front runners throughout the rest of the league, but there are also some divisions where the playoff picture is going to be really fuzzy until we see at least some of these teams play a lot of their suspended games, and we just have a bigger sample size to work with, period. Before then, though, I thought you should know a little bit about why rockauto.com needs to be your one-stop shop for all your automotive car part needs. 
When it comes to vehicular maintenance, the entire process of ordering parts, installing them, etc., it's always very complicated, and especially for folks who aren't really uh, car savvy or, or experienced mechanics. At a very basic level, you don't even know if you're getting a good deal on the parts you're ordering, and how do you even know if you've gotten the right ones? If you're looking for the website that makes everything easy and allows you to filter by make, year, and model for your vehicle, as well as setting price ranges so you get the exact parts you need at the prices you want, then look no further than rockauto.com. Their intuitive website is informed by 20 years of experience in the automotive industry. Whether you need a new engine control module or a floor mat replacement, rockauto.com's incredibly diverse and competitively priced catalog will have exactly what you need. You could save anywhere from 20, 30, even 50% off retail brick and mortar in-store pricing. So why shop anywhere else? Log on to rockauto.com today, and when you do, be sure to write locked on in the how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, visit rockauto.com today. Welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are taking a look at news around the league, and we're also going to update some of the standings thoughts and give a little bit of an insight into what teams might be succeeding early and what teams probably need to be thinking about the next NHL draft. Before we get too crazy, though, I thought you should hear a little bit about why you need to be listening to Locked on Today right now. Get more of the sports news you need in less time with our new Locked on Today podcast. Peter Bukowski hosts Locked On Today, a daily podcast breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts. Start your day with all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. And now the fun begins. Let's talk about some of the divisional standings and give you a little bit of an inside look as to what teams are succeeding early and what teams are faltering. Starting with the North Division from top to bottom, we have Toronto, Montreal, Winnipeg, Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, and Ottawa. Calgary has played the least amount of games, just five so far, and sports a 2-2-1 record. Montreal has also only played six games with a 4-0-2 record for 10 points, which is pretty good all told. I'll say that this division is probably, in my personal opinion, the weakest of all the divisions in the league. I think Canadian hockey in general has struggled to put it all together. I think we're seeing a lot of prevailing attitudes and management styles, um, recruiting issues, and a lot of different roster construction issues that have held the Canadian teams back from true greatness. And I think that at this stage, a lot of these teams are probably... Not really uh, terrible, terrible, but they're also not at their peak either. I think of the teams in this in this particular division, only Toronto and Montreal really have a claim at being decent squads. Toronto is probably the weaker of the two between the, the Leafs and the Habs, and I think Toronto's in a lot of ways a little bit slower than it used to be. I think that their offense is certainly very talented, and they have a lot of great puck movers as well as great distributors and shooters. But the issue there is that they are a bit prone to conceding quite a few goals, which is not super shocking. I think it's pretty early in the season, and they've already played eight games, so, you know, it's not too, too terrible. I don't think that their defensive record uh, and overall their on-ice performance is awful, so to speak. I just feel like this team is probably more average than what you'd think for a team that's already looking to be the top in the division. The Habs, on the other hand, are a squad that I genuinely believe in. I, I feel like this team has a lot of different parts that I like. Uh, I think that they're passing, I think they're crossing movement, their rapid speedy counters, their emphasis on really skilled playmakers, and their addition of goal-scoring depth in guys like Josh Anderson just makes them a really well-rounded team. The Habs' back line is still a little bit shaky, but Carey Price has done okay in that. I, I don't think that he's been particularly great for the most part. I think they have conceded probably a few more goals than you'd expect them to. It hasn't cost them too many standing points yet, but I think going forward, they do have to be careful about, you know, whether or not they consider giving Price a bit more of a rest, 
and how much they're leaning on this blue line to defend leads. The fortunate thing for Montreal is that thus far they really haven't had too many issues scoring, so I don't anticipate that coming up anytime soon, but if they do start to hit a bit of a dry spell, I think that this team may have a little bit of an issue trying to, to keep very narrow margins. As for the rest of the teams, Edmonton, Calgary, Ottawa, and Vancouver are all varying degrees of bad. Ottawa is kind of one of those teams where it's like, they play better than their record is, which is 1-5-1 and right now, but they also don't have great goaltending, and their defense is kind of a trash fire. And when they're, you know, pressed under under a lot of pressure, I think that their issues start to multiply very quickly. You know, they have a very young roster, they don't have a whole lot of veteran experience, and so when the kids get caved in, it's very hard for the rest of the team to pick up the slack. And it's true that the kids are essentially their top playmakers. That said, their main issue right now is probably just surrendering a crap ton of goals. They've already conceded 32, which is not as much as uh, Vancouver, apparently, but they're getting massively outscored. So that's that's a pretty significant problem. Every game for them just seems to be like four or five, maybe even six goals against. And their even strength offense and power plays aren't really scoring a lot to try and counteract that. So that's a bit of a tough road for them going forward. The Flames are one of those teams that's decent, I think, in a lot of respects. I don't think that they're that bad, um, but I, I just feel like they're a very average team. And once they start to face really fast counterattacks and transition games, they have like a real 50-50 shot. I mean, this is a team that I, I really do feel like a 500 record, you know, five games in, very small sample. But I don't think it's that crazy to assume going forward that their record's not going to be fantastic. They're like a team that can give you fits, I just don't expect them to be a really top-end playmaking, you know, playoff contending squad. Edmonton, kind of in the same boat, although I think Edmonton is just more in the boat of being really top-heavy and not having any sort of depth whatsoever. You have to wonder how much more McDavid is going to take from this before he eventually just asks for a trade, because it's really embarrassing that several years on they still don't have a great supporting cast for him. Vancouver is a very strange team. I think that they are genuinely pretty bad. Uh, you know, they got outplayed by Ottawa for vast stretches of tonight's game that, you know, Ottawa still ended up losing like 4-1. But I just look at Vancouver and there are parts of that team that aren't really functioning as they're supposed to right now. I think a lot of the focus has been on Elias Petrosian, who's really struggled this season, which is probably the first real setback he's had. Their blue line is also a serious issue. Uh, I think that guys like Tyler Myers and uh, J, you know, Jordy, Ben, and a few other guys aren't really up to snuff for some of the tasks and the amount of ice time that they're going to have to be given. Both Chris Tanev and Troy Stetcher departing and not really being replaced beyond a couple of prospects is not exactly an ideal situation. And then last but not least, we have the Jets, and I feel like Winnipeg is one of those teams that has a very exciting offensive potential that's going to be extremely high event heart attack hockey and whether or not they actually make the postseason is probably going to come down to whether or not Hellebuck is in like league average form or really bad. If he's even average I think this team might actually be able to outscore a lot of its defensive deficiencies and climb into a playoff spot like they are right now. There are moments where this offense is genuinely good and if they add Vili Heinola at some point and get him actual minutes and bring on Pierre-Luc Dubois sooner rather than later I think they'll be very happy. I think they'll be a very dangerous team. Are they going to be like a, a playoff contender when the division has to move outside of the Canadian area? Probably not. But for all of Winnipeg's flaws, I genuinely think that this is probably some of, some of the more entertaining end-to-end -end hockey that we've had in some time. It's not great, it's not perfect, but it is more entertaining. In just a little bit, I'll walk you through the rest of the league very quickly and, and talk about some of the top teams in each of the other divisions. But before then, I thought you should know about why you need to be using betonline.ag for all of your online betting needs. If you're an NFL fan, you're probably really excited about this up upcoming Super Bowl battle between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the returning champion Kansas City Chiefs. 
The idea of Brady fighting for yet another Lombardi trophy probably wasn't on anyone's radar last season, but here we are with this upstart Bucks team versus a very experienced Kansas City squad. If you have a feeling you know who the next ring bearer is going to be and want the safest, most reliable online betting site to put your money down, look no further than betonline.ag. They have lines, parlays, straight bets, and so much more for every sport you could possibly need, whether you're an NFL fan, looking for NHL action, or even into college football. They even have Bundesliga action for soccer heads like me. Stop sitting on the sidelines and get in on the betting action today. Creating an account is super easy, and best of all, it's free. And when you do, be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your very first deposit. Don't forget, use promo code LOCKEDON for that 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit when you register for your free account at betonline.com. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. For those of you who are longtime listeners of this podcast, by now you probably know that I'm also a big fan of Bilt Bar. If you've never had a Bilt Bar, it's a protein bar that's more like a candy bar, with a dark chocolate exterior and a soft, chewy interior. If you want to give their 12 original flavors a try, I highly recommend starting with raspberry and mint brownie. But if you can't decide, be sure to check out the variety box, which includes all 18 flavors, including 6 new flavors, so you get the best of both worlds. Six new flavors, you might be wondering? Why, yes, indeed. Built Bar is back and better than ever with six brand new flavors joining their already venerable cast of 12. And boy, are these new flavors tasty. They include caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. All of them are delicious, but if I had to pick a favorite, I'd have to say lemon almond cheesecake might take the cake for me. And best of all, you can enjoy Built Bar's guilt-free. They're 200 calories or less, between 50 to 19 grams of protein, and 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. They're as good for you as they taste. And to get your order, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Welcome back to this final stretch of this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are doing some divisional reviews so far and getting a little bit of an early start to standings look-ins. We're moving to the uh, Honda West Division next, which includes some top performers like Vegas, St. Louis, and Colorado. I'm less hot to trot on the Blues, but I do think the Knights and the Avs are both extremely dangerous teams. Where it gets interesting is that trailing Colorado is Los Angeles, Anaheim, Minnesota, San Jose, and Arizona. At spots 4 through 6, including LA, Anaheim, and Minnesota, are actually all up for grabs. I think these teams are genuinely not that bad. Minnesota especially has shown some very early promise because of the quality of their depth forwards, putting in pretty good performances, and some very good overall play creation from a lot of their players just across the board. This is a team that is not like super high-end in terms of like offensive skill, but they seemingly find ways to get it done. I, I don't think that they're going to make the postseason necessarily, but this is not bad hockey from them, and it's, I, I think, a very promising sign for the future. Kings are kind of in the same boat. I think they are getting a couple of really great contributions from some of their younger guns like Adrian Kempe, but I think the rest of the team probably doesn't have a ton of depth. You've got Anze Kopitar, who continues to be fantastic, but I think a lot of this roster is still not really on the cusp of playoffs quite yet. I think down the road, you know, as Gabriel Villardi continues to develop and some of these other prospects start entering the lineup, this will be a good team. And, you know, whenever Quentin Byfield arrives, yeah, you're starting to have some seeds planted for a really bright future, but it's going to be a while before they get there. And I don't think that they're going to beat out any of Vegas, St. Louis, or Colorado. So let's not jump the gun there. I think that Vegas, Blues, and the Avs are going to be your top teams. And I think especially the Knights and the Avs are going to be the real threats in this division. The Mass Mutual East continues to be a huge mess. We've got a lot of really okay teams and some really bad teams that are just, I don't know, really confusing. You've got the Caps in in the lead, but they've, um, I don't know, 
I feel like this team is not that great. I feel like I've watched them just kind of blow leads and not really put in very good defensive performances. And it also doesn't help that an extremely important part of their core has been temporarily placed on COVID suspension until they can come back and I think test negative. So not an ideal situation for the division leaders. You've also got the Bruins in second place who have been pretty good. I think that this team has struggled at first to score goals, but now maybe they're starting to find their footing a little bit more. And then you've got the really perplexing like middle chunk here of Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, New Jersey, and Buffalo. All of these teams have like serious cosmetic flaws, and I think Philadelphia might be the more talented of, of most of them, but I think Philadelphia also has issues where they just don't really have a great blue line that can stay healthy, and they're struggling to uh, suppress chances and try and give Carter Hart a little bit of a break. The Pens kind of also seem to be in the same boat. I think they're a team that's going to be another high-event squad where they exchange lots of opportunities. Philadelphia probably not as open, but I think the, the Pens definitely play a very fast, open style, which may or may not be ideal, I don't know. We'll see how their new manager kind of treats this team. And then everyone else, New Jersey, Buffalo, the Islanders, and the Rangers. Some of these teams are, you know, probably not as bad as they look. Like, the, the Sabres might be okay. They've actually played very decent hockey under the hood, even though the results aren't there yet. Who knows if that'll be uh, something that allows them to kind of sneak into the postseason? Probably not. But as for the rest of these teams, I think that they're just not that great. The Islanders might be the best of the really bad teams, but, like, the Islanders just aren't that consistent, and they ended up blowing a, a big game against the Caps just the other night, thanks to some really puzzling decisions from Trotz. Any mistake you make in the shortened season is probably going to be amplified by the fact that you're competing in a division against only your divisional opponents. Uh, I think it's just going to be very tough to really surrender points and end up still making the postseason. No division is quite as wacky as the Discover Central, though, because so many teams here have had suspensions due to COVID situations where they've had to move the games back. And so, you know, Carolina, Florida, Tampa Bay, Dallas, they've all played like three or four games. And I don't really know if you can glean that much from such a small sample size. You can't even get that much from like seven or eight games. But it's especially difficult to even figure out who would be the best team here other than like Tampa Bay. You know, Dallas is 3-0, Florida is 3-0. Do I expect that to last? Probably not. Do I think the uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are 3-1, and uh, win this division? Probably, yeah. But as it is, what we've got so far is Nashville in first with a 4-3 and record, then Columbus with a 2-2-3 and record, then Chicago, then Dallas, Florida, Tampa Bay, Detroit, and Carolina. So obviously, I think this is going to be a very fluid division. We don't expect the Blackhawks to make the postseason. I think it's going to be hard for Columbus to do so, too, because let's be honest, the Jackets aren't that great. You know, Dallas probably makes it by a decent margin. Maybe the Panthers do. I don't know. They're a very hard team to figure out. Surely Tampa Bay does because it's the Lightning and they're just really built for not much failure. Detroit, you know, definitely not going to make it. Carolina, we'll see. They're an interesting team with a lot of offensive depth, but I don't know how it's going to play out in this season. And occasionally they've had issues in previous years where, despite the talent on paper, they've occasionally had some issues scoring goals, and uh, occasionally their goaltending has also been a bit of a weakness. I don't even know what to make of this Central Division yet. I think it's an absolute crapshoot, and I think anyone who has an idea of who's going to win this division is probably just relying on Tampa Bay being so good and hoping that it shakes out for the rest. Frankly, trying to get a sense of who's going to win, period, is just going to be impossible because we're going to have a really small sample size for a season, and it's going to be a short thing against all the in-division opponents, just an absolute chaotic situation for hockey. 
let's hope everyone stays healthy and has fun. I think that's probably the main thing that you're looking for, and hopefully the Jets can make some magic here sooner rather than later. For now, though, that concludes our entirely too early look at some of these divisional standings. We'll have periodic updates throughout the season, trying to get a better sense of how all of this is going to pan out. I think this is probably the weirdest season we've ever had. It's only going to be 56 games, and these divisions don't even play each other, so who knows what the actual performance indicators are really going to be. Before you sign off, though, I highly recommend you check out the Locked on Bets show. 2020 is mercifully over, and it's time for a fresh start with a few more wins. If you're betting this year and want even more wins, listen to Locked on Bets with your boy Q and Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. They're picking college basketball, football, and NBA locks all winter long. Subscribe to Locked on Bets wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And as always, have a great night. Thanks for listening, and go Jets go!